0: Welcome back to the What Makes You Tick podcast. This is episode six. Hi, folks. Thanks again for joining me today. My guest is my friend, Dr. Olivia Hurley, who is a sports psychologist. And Olivia lectured me when I completed the sports psychology certificate a few years back. Olivia joins me today because her journey is quite interesting. Having worked with so many elite athletes across various disciplines, She is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to psychology and the brain and how the mind works. And we talk about how you can use your brain and your mind to face challenges that we see every day. Olivia is the author of Sports Cyber Psychology and among many things, she has an incredible journey which I'm really, really excited to share with you. Olivia is positivity personified and quite notably through her friends and the people she keeps counsel with. Her honesty and her authenticity is, again, fantastic trait. So here you go, folks. I hope you enjoy listening in to my conversation with Dr. Olivia Hurley.
1: Welcome. Thank you very much.
0: Um, Thank you for taking time to sit down and talk to me. It's actually um, quite nice to come back to Dunleary to the IADT, and sit down and have a chat with you. Uh, What people might know is uh, Olivia is... My former uh, sport psychology uh, lecturer, uh, I did a certificate in sports psychology at the time for me I wanted to learn about the mind and uh, having played rugby at a different at different levels, I wanted to kind of understand the mind a little bit more, I was going into coaching and I wanted to kind of understand what players go through because I was one of those guys but also from a coach's perspective how to deal with it and how to try manage it. Um, so it's great to have you on, on the podcast. Um, I was, when I was doing the research for this, All right, I, <laughs> I was looking oh, at detail. you. You have an incredible <laughs> resume. All right, oh, so yeah, like You've got so many syndrome, letters though. beside your name. Well, if, uh, so Chartered Psychologist, yeah. Sports Psychologist. Yeah. You have a BSc in Psychology. Yeah. You are also a former athlete, uh, elite athlete, may mm. I say, having a Same number of say. national titles <laughs> from underage as well. Uh, that's and probably you,
1: the thing I'm most proud of and here's actually, the, that I still hold a record. Well
0: that's it, under 13, that's 60 right, metres sprint. And
1: it's a really easy record to remember, uh, 789, 7.89. <laughs> well yeah. see,
0: and it's still held right? And I'm
1: not telling you how old it is, because no, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the longest standing, apparently, so I've just been told in the last year or two.
0: And so not only that then, you're also an author mm-hmm. of numerous books and ap- academic studies mm-hmm. and research, And your latest book is Sports Cyber Psychology, uh, which you released. So you have you've done so much. One of the reasons why I wanted you as a guest on my podcast is I admire your work ethic. I admire the actual positive nature that you always bring to whatever challenge seems to be faced. Because as a lecturer, you always came in with real positive energy and no matter what was going on behind the scenes you always brought in really really positive energy because listen we've all got stuff that we're dealing with but you're here to do a job and and it was brilliant to see really really professional so let's maybe start off with how did you get into sports psychology how did you get into the science of psychology and Where did your journey begin?
1: Well, again, thank you so much for the invitation. Delighted to have you back in IEDT, Stephen. Um, It's always nice to have a grad come back, but more importantly, to have a friend come back, because I think that's one of the things that I think is a privilege, uh, a part of my job, is that many of my students become really close friends, and it's something that I never take for granted. And like you just said, everybody deals with stuff, and they're the first people that, when the chips are down, it often is my what I call my grad pals who are the ones that immediately step in to say, How are things? What can I do? How can I help? So that is amazing. So great to see again, my, my, my buddy. Happy days, um, I'm yeah. delighted to, to, and I'm very proud of you. I mean, you're after listing off all the things that I've done, but I'm equally as proud of, uh, of everything you've achieved. And, and I am of all my grads and all, all my, my grad pals, as I say. And um, they're what inspires me. So I suppose to get back to your question, um, what got me into my career or my profession or you know whatever way you like to kind of look at it and I see it really as in many ways a kind of a calling or a passion and I am very lucky I think it's been a common theme I've listened to some of your other podcasts that people say, you know, you love what you do, like you bring in an energy into the room because, but it is because I love what I do. I genuinely adore what I do. And I consider myself incredibly lucky because there are people who say, oh, you're, you're very lucky to have found what you really love because some people search for it their whole lives. But I do think it's something you kind of have to, opportunities are presented to you, but it's where you take those opportunities. Mm. So while I say I'm passionate about it and I, I was lucky to find it, I think you make your luck. So I suppose to go back to where it started, when I was about 12 or 13, I have a big sister and my big sister when she was about 13 and 14 entered the Young Scientist and she was one of the first girls to enter the Young Scientist and she won one of the awards and she very much set off on the path to being a scientist and she wanted to maybe go into medicine and she became a scientist and she's now still working in science, regulatory affairs, very high up in her in her area as well and she really was my role model. She's incredibly protective of me. You know about some of my adversities over the years. And Mm -hmm. she's the first one. She is on a plane straight home. If that happens to me, she's just my rock, um, as my parents are, my family are. Mm. So my mum also was a really kind of she didn't uh, go to college, but she was very much always about her girls Mm -hmm. having as many opportunities as her boys. So I have an older sister and then two younger brothers. I'm kind of treated like the baby, but you know the the two boys kind of liked that they're older. I mean, for various (laughs) reasons, which uh, we won't go into quite now, but maybe it'll come up later on. So um, so yeah, so my sister was really somebody who really inspired me to kind of in terms of influencing my whole interest in science. And then when I was in school, I went to Man Temple and I did chemistry and physics. Sorry, chemistry and biology. I had two great teachers. Um, Mr. Henley was my chemistry teacher, who many people might know because he wrote loads of the leave and serve books. And I still know him to this day and I'm in touch with him. And Mr. Shackleton, Jonathan Shackleton, who is related to Ernest. So biology and chemistry I really loved in school. Um, I also had a GP who was very good friends with us he ended up becoming my brother's godfather he's very close to my parents and he was big into science but big into psychology because he was a gp but his whole area he went back and did like psychotherapy when it was really you know starting out in ireland and nobody was doing it and we used to have discussions around the dinner table he used to come to, for dinner a lot and he used to say he and i used to chat a lot and he used to say to me "Live, you'd make a great uh, psychologist and he gave me my first psychology book and How old 15, you? 16, okay, uh, really yeah. young, like kind of when I was studying science yeah. in, in secondary school. So his name is Tom Elliott, TJ, as we called him, TJ, um, Dr. Elliott, as everybody else called him, we called him TJ. He had no kids. His wife, I'm still, he passed away there uh, just the last year or two, but his wife and her sister I'm incredibly close to, um, and they're still friends. I only visited them after Christmas. So yeah, so TJ was a really huge influence, as he was for my sister. So Trish went and did science in UCD. And then when I was getting ready to fill out CAO uh, in in Mount Temple at the end of kind of when I was doing Leaving um, I put science down and I knew that there was an option where you go psychology uh, through science. Now you can't do that. You have to do it through the arts faculty, but you could do it through science. And I'd always said I wanted to be a scientist, but I wanted to do psychology through science. I wanted to be a scientist psychologist, which is exactly what it should be. And that's what it is as a discipline. So, so, Trish would, did science, she was four or five years ahead of me, she was like at PhD level by the time I was coming into UCD, I also wanted to go to UCD because they had a great track team and I wanted to pursue that, I wanted to be on the UCD track team, so, so yeah, so that's kind of how it all came about, like I had a lot of mentors and people who really inspired me and then when I went to kind of go to UCD, it was, a, it was a toss up between science and law. Okay. And I've always said to this day, when I get up and lecture, it is like giving a speech in a kind of a, a, a presenting a case in a courtroom. And they always said, you'll be a lawyer or, and you'll get up in court yeah. or you'll get up in lecture. For all the right reasons. Know, for all of those reasons. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So in science and UCD, you did a general first year, which is like biology, chemistry. I did geology and maths. Okay. And then in your second year, you went psychology. And then second, third and fourth year you did. I did psychology and pharmacology and then psychology um, kind of pure psychology in my final year but in second year when I was into that kind of real psychology stream, I met Professor Aiden uh, my academic dad, yeah. and he did our first um, cognitive psychology lecture, and anybody who doesn't know what cognitive psychology is, it's all about that study of the, the brain, as I say, not even the mind, because I think people get kind of, oh, it's some sort of voodoo-y the mind, like it's something we can't put our finger on, whereas yeah. I'm like, no, it's your brain, yeah. and it's how your brain is functioning. So, and I explain that to athletes all mm-hmm. the time. It's like, no, let's just demystify it. It is the brain, and it is how the brain and the body interact, and everything you do out in a pitch or a try, it's all about how the brain it's the brain body connect. So, uh, Aiden when he a- gave his first uh, cognitive psychology lecture, he put all of the ex- explanations to imagery and problem solving and memory and decision making into sporting contexts. And I was on the UCD track team yeah. at this stage and was running for UCD and had had a really good, was having a really good season my first, second year. And I went down to him at the end of the lecture, and I might have told you this before, Stephen. Mm. I just waited to see him, and uh, he was chatting to a few just different students. And I was, whatever, I was very young going to UCD, went in at just 17, didn't do transition year, didn't repeat, leave, insert, so I was like wow, really Steve. young. So I was only 18 at the time, and I just said to him, Hi, my name is Olivia and I'm on the UCD track team and I just loved your lecture and uh, how do I become the female version of you in about 10 years time? So he literally from that day on, he just said to me, right? And he took me under his wing. So everything I did, I... Did my undergraduate thesis with him. He knew I had access to great athletes, so he was like all on then for me doing a postgrad, so I did my master's with him. And then people had said to me for my PhD, you know, maybe you'd go away or study abroad. And I went, Why would you study abroad when you've got the best person who's one of the best sports psychologists in the world on your doorstep? Yeah. I, I wouldn't leave him, I wanted to stay. So he's become somebody I'm incredibly close to him when I have any kind of academic dilemma or even clients now where I have my own business and do private consulting work. He's my go to person. Mum and dad will always say they've gotten to know Aiden very well over the years, and they will say, What's Prof say? You know, what, ring Prof. And I can literally pick up the phone or text him or send him a WhatsApp and say, Prof, what's, you know, what would your advice be? And I've been through the last year or two, I've had a few, there's been a few things that have kind of where I've had to touch base with him and say, Look, how would I handle this? Because I think, as you said, when you've written a book and you become for various reasons with various great athletes and clients and people who you don't talk about who your individual clients are, but students and graduates and people who go out in the world and like you, Stephen, mm. who tell your story and yeah. share it with other people and you become a little bit kind of, I suppose, in, in your own field and own sector mm. of sport and science, whatever, a bit known. Mm. Um, it it opens opportunities, but it also opens up dilemmas. Yeah. You know, and, and as you know, I would be very much you know, we're scientists and we're research and evidence based as you learnt in class and it's nothing, it's not voodoo, it's not, you know, it's it's very much show this, me the facts. Is, this is show me the, yeah. the evidence and show mm-hmm. me the research and mm-hmm. that's, you know, kind of, and and that's what's great about the students who come in who are the student athletes as I call them, because you're trying to explain to them, look, you know, it's not enough just to come in and say, oh, I just want to learn about sports psychology. It's like, well, I want to learn about, and psychology for anybody who's listening, understanding, explaining, predicting. A lot of what we do is trying to predict what people potentially will do in different situations. And then the last one is the control word, but the control word is around giving people the tools to control their own Lives and their own performance and their own well being. So-,
0: so that's like, so do you know when you're training and stuff? Okay, yeah. a lot of people like, so I've done a challenge with a couple of guys and it was a one, 1k row, all right. And you think, okay, I got this, I'm going to go as hard as I can. It's only a thousand meters, it'll be fine. And at 600 meters to go, your brain goes, what the hell are you doing? You, you don't nobody's looking not, step away I, from this you step away you'll be fine you don't stop. worry why would you put yourself there and you start getting all those self talk and that doubt and all that starts creeping in yeah that's the part that you're
1: exactly because that's the bit of the brain that basically what you're doing is you're putting your body under challenge under stress and we know it's the fight or flight it's the stress response yeah. so the body is picking up all the cues and all the signals and going are you in trouble here do i need to get you out of here do you and that's where we would say to people sometimes you have to yes get comfortable with being uncomfortable but what that's what training does training allows you to realize how far can i push myself to where i'm at that li- i'm at the edge of the cliff now i'm all for you go to the edge of the cliff we don't want you falling over the cliff yeah. you know but often injury and illness is where you kind of push yourself That you kind of did go over the cliff yeah. but we just climb you back up the cliff and we yeah. put you on the edge again or whatever So. In, in a lot of cases, we would say, you know, we don't ever want somebody to have to go through a real adversity, but training is designed to put you that bit outside your comfort zone so that when the voice in the middle of a game or whatever is telling you you're out of breath, you, you, you need to stop, you do, you know, it's like, actually, I've done this in training, and I know I'm now out of breath, but this is short-lived. Yeah. I just need to take a moment to recover, and then I'll be ground again, and I can go again. So it's about learning how to listen to what the brain is saying. And trust me, if you're in real dire straits, if you're if you've got a pain that is going you need to get yourself to a hospital. Yeah. It will shout down that and it will become, it, it'll, it's where Unbearable, you, you yeah. totally know yeah. when. So it is where we've got a, a great brain and body connect that if it really is in trouble, it will make sure you yeah. know.
0: And that's the point where you were talking about the psychology aspect is how one of the elements was control, but it's 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 understanding or learning the coping what mechanisms that are yeah. in place for yeah. you then to know red alert okay I need to I need to get Absolutely. out of here or Absolutely. I'm okay I, I'm just going through just an uncomfortable man. stage exactly. yeah, like yeah, it's
1: like where somebody gets up to do a presentation or gets to do, up to do anything and they're a bit nervous first and you kind of go to them look this is something that you care about that's yeah. why the body is responding yeah. your adrenaline all of the stuff that's going on in your brain and in your body is just armoring you for the challenge that you're going to face now but you're not in danger mm-hmm. you're not going to die you know you're not and that's where we need to be careful about where people would say you know they were having a panic attack like it's where it does feel like that and it's where we should never minimize or or diminish that that's a very uncomfortable situation for somebody to be in but it is where we're training them and that's what cbt is and yeah. various other therapies it's to train them to know when am i really in trouble versus when is this just short-lived and it's really just my body and brain getting a bit confused here and it's seeing this as being something that is a life and death situation when i know it's not really but it's how do i manage that self-talk and how do i manage that kind of situation so and let we give tools for to help people to do that
0: so let me ask you this okay so as you're saying there, you give you give tools to help people go through it. So sometimes people say, in theory, it works one way, but in practice, it's a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. So no doubt in your own setup then as well, so being an, an elite a- athlete, working at such a kind of a high intensity, writing books, uh, lecturing, all that stuff, you've obviously faced different highs and lows mm-hmm. yourself, right? Have, do you apply what you've learned to those highs and lows and if you if so could you kind of maybe give us an example
1: absolutely yeah i mean I, I'm a big believer in you you kind of have to practice what you preach. You know, you really do. Um, and all of the tools that you would have had heard in class, Steve, and I know I'm not educating. I'm, you wanted this. You've heard it before, but I'll, I'll mention it. Educate them. everybody else. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I am, a, I am a, people say about the goal setting. I mean, I'm a real, I'm a target-driven person. Yeah. I do believe that my my personality and the way that I work it, it suits. It, I've just found what suits me, as in I am a person who likes to be busy. Um, I, I know, and I've had some adversities over the years and various illness episodes that I know you know about from serious, you know, kind of real life-changing ones, but where you go, okay, I have a phrase where I go, I work really hard, I love what I do, but I also have a phrase which I say is factoring in the fun. Mm-hmm. So while I goal set, while I, you know, set myself targets, challenges, I really make myself kind of you know i challenge myself i have faced adversity and i've had to you know say now what, what would you say if this was athlete a b or c it's like okay this is short-lived you know this is another week we'll do it week to week we'll do it day to day you know when i get any kind of cold or flu it's like you know look you know i love going to my gym like you say about how do you manage you know i am i am a person who I start my day by going to the gym most days, okay? Um, I, I've learned over the years that, you know, I don't have to do that every day now. Mm-hmm. I go, okay, five days a week, you don't have to do seven. Um, but I find it really switches my brain on. I find that if I do my couple of intervals, I'm a sprinter, so I do mm. sprint intervals on the treadmill, do some stretching, do some kind of yoga and uh, relaxation work as well. But I, I find that that sets me up for the day that I kind of, people think it's like, oh, but I've only a certain amount of energy. And if I do that, I'm going to use up more energy. And I'm like, no, no. Actually, the way that that works is that it actually energizes you. And yeah. so if you're feeling now also knowing about listening to your body. So if you've got a temperature and you've got a cold or a flu, that is the day you do not do that. Mm-hmm. So, But I've learned over the years how and, to manage that. And
0: also ensuring that you get the recovery as well. Absolutely. So and that's what I'm saying about the factoring points. in yeah. the fun. Yeah. So what
1: I've learned through the years is that I, I would have been always one of those people that I am a doer. But you can get onto this kind of a a a wheel where you're literally like the mouse running on the wheel but you're constantly doing 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 and you just don't go stop okay on your deathbed what are you potentially going to you know be what, what will you regret people often say and i think the only thing and i've been in a situation where i've had very i've had loved ones who've gone through serious illnesses and i've had one or two episodes and I think the only time I ever get guilty is when anything happens to me and I know other people were are worried about me that actually upsets me because I know my family I mean I have an amazing family, uh, two brothers and a sister that I absolutely adore, my sister is my absolute rock, my two brothers are my total gems, and my mum and dad are just they are my everything mm. and I've got both of them through illness episodes when I say i, we have mm-hmm. the, the, all of us they've been role models in terms of how they've managed that and they were very much how do their solution focused their how do we manage this how do we set targets how do we get through it day to day and that's what they've done so even when i was sick in 2012 I had a very serious illness had to you know have serious surgery i didn't know at the time how serious it was afterwards the one thing that i felt when i was recovering at home for a couple of weeks at home with mum and dad was what will i actually what will learning can i take from that and the learning was Ultimately, there are people who are your backpack who will step up when the chips are down and they will help you literally help you to walk, dress everything when you really need them. And ultimately, when it comes to the end of your life, the only thing that you potentially will regret is the time you didn't spend with them so i literally do now i think from 2012 now i prioritize i factor in the fun so i make sure i get home to see my parents i never will say look that book chapter it can no yes it can wait you don't know what's around the corner so you have to prioritize people and i think that's why i love my job is because in my job i help people to get the best out of themselves but you're prioritizing the person where you're going i adore you i and i genuinely do like people say like kind of what's your motivation what's your what's your a little bit maybe the the people that are that little bit cynical like what's your you know what's the alternative agenda like what's her agenda and genuinely there is it is like i admire and respect this athlete so much I can see so much potential in them and I want to help to get them to where I think that they can be. That's enough but for I, me. I, I think it, the no, question, it doesn't even come down to fees and it,
0: money. But I think the question there, when somebody's asking you what's the, what's your agenda, that's them impressing their thought process on you as opposed to, uh, because they they can't understand how they would do it, so therefore how could you do it? And they're not living up to an expectation or something from yeah. their lifestyle or their... Yeah. Whatever social contract that yeah, they have it's, with themselves. It's a different, it's a different so like it's and and the thing is, I was talking about it um, on a couple of episodes before, but it was it was a case of if your intent is positive from your own perspective, it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. It does, right? Absolutely. Yeah, as long is, as your intent is is, yeah. is not there to harm somebody, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean?
1: And and you're right, Steve. It's a really good point. I think exactly that. If your intent is good and your and your and and I always have found in my job people are very good at reading. Forget psychologists. Yeah. They're very good at reading each other, and they're Body very good at doing the, and athletes particularly, they genuinely know when somebody is not really being real. You know, they, they're they very quick to to kind of work out. So I think that's one of the things that I love is that, you know, there's a genuine Mutual respect, and I do believe in the kind of phrase "just be nice to everybody." If if somebody said to me, "What is one thing you'd love to be known for?" I think it is genuinely, in this day and age, that just to be kind. You don't Mm. know what somebody is going through, and and I genuinely do believe that if somebody is being, you know, we we talked about this, you know, a little bit upset or nasty or narky at you or whatever, you always know that if you're a little bit snappy or like that with somebody there's a reason and yeah. it's nothing got to do with the person it's normally yeah. how you're feeling on the day we, we so were talking
0: about that earlier on a little bit in, in that and i've i've mentioned it before but mo, mo goddard mm-hmm. I, who i'm i'm so fascinated by it, right mm-hmm. but he he would say say you're in traffic and somebody cuts across you in traffic and you turn around and you're screaming or shouting at them or whatever you react to it right but you mightn't have Realize that that person maybe got a really bad phone call or lost a job or something crazy, or maybe they're just rude (laughs) because they've had a a bad upbringing or whatever. I don't know, but they're coming. And the fact that if you let that into you, then it's creating that negativity. Whereas if you kind of take a breath and go, "Uh, Sure okay let him off you never Absolutely. know or create a create a story yeah. for yourself yeah
1: well interesting perspective on that because um one of your my fellow grad pal niall breslin is one of my graduates and i was, I was going to actually house, bring him up yeah in a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, you know he's and he's one of those people that he's, he's he's such a great i have so much respect for him i have so much time for him he's been so brave and you know my hashtags mm-hmm. on my social media hashtag be brave hashtag awesome in action mm-hmm. and he is one of these people that i i say he, he is open and honest about when he's having a a bad time he will say things like you know look I'm I'm having a really tough time today just go away and and I really admire his his honesty with everybody the way that he is but he's a doer he keeps himself busy he knows he's learned how to manage everything that he's been so vocal about but I was at his uh, where's my mind uh, uh, live show and I've supported him in 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 a number of things we've done a lot of things together and I'm very happy to do that and uh, he said you know that there's there was a situation where a guy had uh, cut him off in, tra- in not in traffic but a cyclist had nearly taken his he nearly knocked him down basically cut across him on, on tram lines going through something that he should have stopped and he ignored the red light the cyclist did and Niall said you know that during the show he was explaining how his previous before his own psychology training would have been to go you know and and like your man like bashed on his window and he pulled in and he you know, the, he said it would have been a screaming match and he said he just had about five seconds to kind of go now maybe this guy is not having the best day so he said he just <laughs> rolled down the window and the guy just said into him you know he was your and he just went listen sorry if i give you a fright but you know if i had been traveling if it was my fault and i was trying you'd actually be dead and he said just by quietly just diffusing the situation and going are you okay man are you are you all yeah, right yeah. and he said they had a bit of a chat then your man he said i don't know whether he recognized him or not but he said your man completely calmed down yeah. took off the helmet yeah. said listen you're probably right i'm sorry you yeah, know yeah, had a bit yeah. of a bad day today you know, the way you react to something is can the, make such a difference so you just never know what somebody is yeah. going through and i'm a big believer in that uh, uh, you know th- my sister is a little bit different than my mom and I always give them a shout out on things like this. they'll kind of go a little bit like what you've said no Olivia there are just people in the world who are a little bit nasty and who are a little bit rude and no it isn't what they're having as it and I'm going yeah but people don't generally. I I believe in the good in people I, I don't think we're built to be just that we're born nasty now I know that there's a couple of situations and people where there's certain pathologies where people just they don't their empathy and their, you know and that's for another discussion in terms of abnormal psychology there's an inherent goodness there's an inherent you know and i would say that as, as again to, to quote from niall you know 90 odd percent of the, the population are sound
0: yeah. they are
1: sound yeah. and it's about finding the sound in people
0: yeah, and, and, around, and, and helping them those along people, right? and,
1: and 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 being you know when they're not having a when they're not being sound not thinking badly of them but actually reaching out and going is everything okay okay, you don't seem to be yourself and i have so many people when i'm not in a not when i'm not in a great place but when you know i have a lot of people from what i've experienced and what i've gone through um who will reach out to me and kind of go you seem to be working really hard lately yeah. maybe it might be is a time to take okay. a break is everything okay yeah. just because they'll kind of go look you know you know so the
0: people who are close to you people close they
1: will they will see it yeah. and, and i really appreciate that and yeah. sometimes you don't like it sometimes you kind of go no i'm grand and you can go on the defensive but actually i've learned over the years that they're the people who really my backpack they know when you know you're tired or when you don't look yourself or yeah. when you're and they're the ones that you kind of go look they're not trying to hurt you. They're no. not trying to upset you. They genuinely are concerned. the ones who really care. And you would equally hope that if, if you saw it in somebody else, that you would find the right way of saying in a kind way, listen, you know, is that, anything I can yeah. do or can I support so you? I,
0: I think, I think when, you, when you, those people that do come in and ask you those questions, mm-hmm. all right, they do it out of their intent is Absolutely. right. Okay? Absolutely there, love. But there's, there's obviously, there's times then when you just may not be ready to talk about no. anything so they, there's also then they understand that and take that as a kind of a respect the, they respect the fact that listen i'm after telling you i'm here for you now right you might be ready to talk to me that's fine but i'm here for you Absolutely. and one of the biggest strengths i've always noticed in people is that those who are willing to ask for help that's the start of an unbelievable journey because Absolutely. by asking for help you're showcasing an element of vulnerability which in a society is becoming more and more talked about and mm-hmm. and more open, and it's 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 actually becoming a really really good topic of of conversation. But in past, it would have been stiffen up that upper lip type of Absolutely. thing, you know, and yeah. you know, get on with it. Or
1: it's, and it's probably the reason why you know people talk about oh kind of the modern age and we're so busy and I know Niall does so much stuff of that about, it, but, you know, kind of, you know, the he's doing stuff at the moment with a new new podcast series himself about, you know, kind of the outrage and how we're all outraged and we're all, you know, we are nobody has time and social media and, you know, where we need to just manage our lives better and whatever. And and I I go along with that. But I think it's more that we it's not that Potentially, we need to be careful about saying, oh, people are suffering more and people are, you know, it's more that people are willing to talk about it. I think my my parents and my grandparents' generations, there were probably really tough times for them too and they went through stuff that was just different. They might not have social media or they didn't have technology, but they had the different things. Same, it was right? different, but it was where everything was suppressed and it was that kind of small village kind of, you know, gossip and, you know, if anybody, and, and you know, using phrases that, you know, we, you know, not quite right and you know and 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 if you if you if somebody did you know exhibit any kind of vulnerability they were kind of frowned upon and then the person who kind of you know dampened it all down and was seen to be the kind of and we talked about it in class that mental toughness we don't even like using that phrase like mental resilience i'm fine with training athletes in mental fortitude training where they literally fortify themselves around adversity and deselection and illness and injury and all these things it's kind of well how do we armor you not if but when these things happen and also teaching them that it's absolutely fine to come and say i'm having a really difficult time dealing with this and because they're athletes they are not in any way as you know immune to any of that stuff exercise is great sport is great but it doesn't make you immune to any kind of mental problem or difficulty
0: When athletes do face those challenges, whether they get dropped, whether they they hurt themselves, they get an injury that keeps them out for a certain length of time, right? Obviously, there's the resilience, which is really, really important, okay? but I remember discussing part of that is you go through a stage of Mm -hmm. loss and mourning and anger and resentment, and you you have those different stages, Mm -hmm. the exact type of emotions that you feel when you lose somebody close to you. Absolutely. Yeah, and the grief model, the yeah, you remember model. it yeah,
1: from, yeah. from, yeah. And actually, the funny thing is that the grief model is, um, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's like it was a health model that was kind of adopted by sports psychologists to explain the stages that people go through when they get injured, so denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But the difficulty with that is it's very simplistic. It's like, well, not everybody who gets injured is going to get depressed. And in fact, we know the statistics. I mean, it's it's about probably higher than people think. It's about 1 in 10. And if you think of all the people who take part in sport and all of the people who are elite level, and you think of all the hundreds of thousands and you then say one in ten so that's one in ten that really struggle when they're injured not and it's not even a case of if you get injured because as you know Stephen as well athletes would be like they use the words like oh I have a knock or a niggle and it's like just own the word it's called an injury and look the minute you get injured you're on the road to recovery you you use words like rehabilitation and recovery not I'm injured it's like I'm in a recovery. I'm in rehabilitation for my injury or whatever. OK, so we use that kind of language. But the, the, the kind of irony about the kind of the grief model was that it doesn't account for many people in terms of what they experience when they get injured or when they get dropped or when they get sick or and not just in sport, but in life. Yeah. So there's what we call the cognitive appraisal model, which is how do you cognitively, mentally appraise, in other words, evaluate the situation? So I would say that that's where I, when I did my, my PhD, was on psychology of sport injury. So I looked at all of that stuff. So I love that cognitive appraisal approach because what you're doing is you're, you're sitting down with an athlete and whether it is an injury or an illness or being dropped or whatever, you're saying to them, okay, your personal and your situational factors are going to affect how you think about this, how you feel about it, and then ultimately what you do. So we say the thinking, the feeling, the doing. But what people don't seem to realise is that it works in the opposite way too. The doing affects the feeling, affects the thinking. So we use the phrase, which you remember from class, act your way into the feeling rather than feeling your way into the action. So don't wait to feel great. Because you're not going to feel great for the next six weeks. You're going to be going through rehab. So let's do stuff. I am a doer. I'm an action. Awesome in action. That's my hashtag. It's get people doing things. But Because by doing stuff, even if you're feeling like you're having a rubbish day, like I will do things where I will go, I'm, 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 I'm physically I'm fine, but I I'm, I've I'm, I'm just got up out of the wrong side of the bed today. If I go to the gym and I do a bit of a workout, or if I meet somebody for coffee, but it's the doing, do something, you then go, God, you know what, I feel much better now. Now I'm in a mentally, I'm thinking better, I'm, I can go about what I need to get done, which I was a bit feeling a bit overwhelmed by initially when I kind of got up and was going, oh, I have to do this, I have to, and by the way, that language even, I have to do, no you don't you know the to-do list that thing can just move to the next day so we don't we can be a little bit what we say i was saying about being kind we have to remember you can be kind to as many people as you like but if you're not being kind to yourself first as well you're not able to do your job well too so you kind of have to say factor in the fun heard the phrase of
0: um, uh, don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't wouldn't say say to to your best friend
1: And that's, that's a real difficult one because we are so, and again, it's this, it's this brain, it's the way our brain developed. It is hardwired to be looking out for threats and looking out for the, do I need to keep you alive? So that's why people don't understand why when we have hundreds of thousands of thoughts a day, they beat themselves up because they've had a bad thought like or a bad, you know, you kind of look at somebody and you go, oh, you have, you just in your head think something negative and you're going, do you know what? That's okay you're not going to act on that. You're not going to say it to anybody. You're not going to even, you're going to just counter it. You know, I now have a thing where even if a, a negative thought even about somebody pops into my head, I kind of go, no, live. you know, don't be nasty, yeah. you know? And it's and it's exactly that yeah. you wouldn't say it to yourself, but you wouldn't yeah. say you would you would give out to somebody yourself for saying it about somebody else, but you have to be able to reflect on that for yourself and be nice to yourself. So for me, a lot of what I've learned over the last couple of years with adversity and about my research and stuff, I have also a thing called the Act. Now you didn't you didn't hear about the Act when you were in class. That's a new thing. So Go it's, on. it's very much the Serenity Creed. So anybody who's out there and kind of knows a little, and I I'm not saying people need to be religious or not, but Serenity Creed the prayer, you know. I say accept the things, you know, it's a, accept what you, can't, what you can't control, control what you can. But there's a, a thing now, a, a, a kind of a principle in psychology, it's kind of what we call a third wave, wave therapy, CBT, is a kind of a second wave therapy. Now we talk about this thing called ACT, which is acceptance commitment training therapy, but I've changed it to training. So I train people now in accepting what they can't control. So with athletes, okay, let's look at this situation, what can it, you not control? can't control my teammate, can't control selection. the referee's decision, can't control the, the, the coach's decisions, can't control selection, can't control what's going on in the world, can't, what can I control? The only thing you can control is you, your responses, your thinking, your behaviour, Your you, you, that's it. So accept what you can, can't control, which is all of that other things. Have the courage, the C word, and the commitment to change, again a C word, what you can which is ultimately all to do with you, and then just train yourself to know the difference. So accept what you can't control, have the courage to control the things that you can, which is ultimately really just you, and then train yourself to know the difference. Because we tend to get worked up about stuff and we tend to get stressed about stuff. And stress can be a really good thing, don't get me wrong. I'm all for a bit of good stress, but we get worked up about stuff that often is completely outside of our control. So So we we need to accept that
0: stress can be good for you because Mm -hmm. your body doesn't know the difference of what stress is doesn't know whether it's a mental stress physical stress emotional whatever so the your body needs stress in order to grow right absolutely however too much stress can cause either a breakdown either mentally or physically absolutely how do you advise people in terms of the psychological side of things to manage that stress
1: it's a really good question Stephen, and i think it's something you've touched on there about like kind of the stress and the difficulty with knowing when it's too much stress i often say to people you will know when you are what we call in strain that's the difference okay strain is where and it isn't really people talk about the mental side of it it's very much again what i said about the brain and the body connect physically if you are under stress and mentally okay it's all the one it's all just stress i mean it's like physical mental skills physical mental health i say it's all just health it's all just skills it's all just stress okay but ultimately if you're very stressed and you're putting too much pressure on yourself and pressure is a good thing as well i say people should be under pressure you get up every day and the first thing you are is under pressure but in a good way it's where you're going about your day and you're doing stuff that excites you and you're doing stuff that you're passionate about it's still pressure it's, that's what it is but it's where you're, you're managing it and you're doing it and you're getting enjoyment out of it but when it tips into strain it's where I say to athletes you will know that is where you're not training well you're not producing good training outputs physically there's physical signs you get your cold and your flus you've got your headaches you've got your body feeling just really tired really fatigued there's a load of telltale signs and it's about learning to listen you listen to your body because your body is a really good indicator of where you've gone from stress and pressure to strain so it is about listening so I always say to athletes I mean one of the, the the tools I use is just listen you know we often don't want to stop long enough to listen and you just have to listen and your body will tell you your body knows when it's in trouble and your brain is connected to your body. Your brain is part of your body. So, you know, when people get very stressed and when they kind of, you know, are very, you know, racing thoughts and they can't they're not achieving and they're becoming overwhelmed and stuff. So it's just just stop and listen. Your body and your brain is trying to tell you something. You just have to stop. Mm. And that is where I would say to people, the the factoring in the fun you know allow yourself to just stop and and I'm a a person who I tend to be a scheduled person (laughs) my mom and dad laugh they say you know but you know I I, I fit in my friends and I fit in you know my family and I fit in my work and they kind of go hmm there's no boyfriend and I'm like yeah well he'll present himself funny and he'll have to fit in with it. my schedule it's and about and complimenting my your schedule as opposed to they laugh to, now and they yeah. say yeah it's kind of like she'll be free between like six and seven on a thursday night can you see her then it's like you know that's and we joke about it and they see the foot and but i laugh about it and embrace that's, it that's
0: that's the thing that it's about it's, well, it's it's it doesn't like it doesn't offend well, it, me at all <laughs> yeah it's like the complimenting side of things like there should never be a takeaway if anybody's coming into your life it should always be a promotion should always be a and filler you should never you have know, to
1: you should never have to change yeah you know I, i'm all for compromise i'm all for you know if somebody is really and it is like that where you know i might be doing something and if an athlete brings me and i it's a, an athlete i really adore and i want to help them out i will stop my work and i will say no i i want to have an hour-long conversation with this person so you prioritize yeah so see you, you, i i don't call, you, see
0: that i don't call that compromise i, I kind of feel like that is you're doing not compromising yeah, so you, you're just you're shifting your priorities exactly yeah because you're yeah. like oh, yeah do you know what this is cool no I'll, i'm going to do this because yeah. i want to and it, and and i think then there's there's always that thing is that you you don't when you want to do something it's never compromising. Whereas you when you don't want to do something you're compromising yourself.
1: You and know? that and you've I, just educated me on, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. It is. I think it's where we we, we we see in relationships there's give and take and there's yin and yang and there's you know where one complements the other and, and it should be that. But I also I I completely um. I have so many friends and family over the years that have had you know relationship breakdowns and you know broken up with people and and you know kind of you never should go into that like and and I hear a lot with relationships kind of you know well I thought he'd change I thought I'd be able to bring her around to my way of thinking it's like no really what drew you to the person should be you should not need to change And, and that's what I say and I joke about it with my sister and my brothers and my mum and dad and a lot of my close circle of friends and I'm sharing it now with the podcast it's like the right person is the person who goes I adore everything that you do and I'm not asking you to be anybody but who you are and I'll fit in with your you know and as, as I said I just haven't found the person who just fit into who, who can fit into the schedule having said that I often have a lot of people who also say you intimidate the hell out of the mall because they're going, <laughs> she's up and I don't like that it's where people say they've got you up on this pedestal and I say yeah but the pedestal the only way you can fall is down so yeah, the only yeah. thing you can do is disappoint and that shouldn't be and where thing, yeah, you're human I you're agree. not superhuman. That's you're it. you're just and and a lot of the athletes i deal with and a lot of the you know i have family and friends who will say to me you know they will adore a particular look up to a particular athlete or whatever and they're going oh my god that person's my idol and they're celebrity and how do you i'm going their blood skin and bone, same ligaments they're a person like you and me and when they walk in my door i don't see the athlete i see the person who is and if they're nice
0: great and if they're not nice you'll find out fairly quickly anyway exactly
1: but i tend not to i think they kind of know just even just just don't tend to attract that kind of person but just
0: (laughs) even even, so touching on so yeah you work with with all these different athletes okay you have prof as your mentor all right you've met all these different then leaders as well Mm -hmm. so when I was doing this, the, the cert with you, and Joe Schmidt was presenting to the class before us, so the year before, mm. he was presenting the certs. Mm. And he gave a really, really good discussion here in the, in the um, campus, and you emceed you that and spoke to him. Then the following year for our uh, presentation was Jim Gavin. So you look at these two characters who are incredible leaders, right, uh, in different codes. You are working with an incredible leader and academic in terms of prof. You get to work with these, then you work with Brezzi, who's leading in a completely different field. Okay, what are the kind of the? They're all inspiring in different reasons, but what do you believe makes a good leader?
1: That's a really good question. Now, if you remember from class, Stephen, we covered leadership, and I would have said it's probably one of the most fascinating, but ultimately one of the most. difficult area for because it is like kind of the magic solution it's like well if we could only say and we were discussing it in class the other night we were talking about expert novice differences and you know what makes an expert in their field and i even said people describing me even in that context it doesn't sit well with me because the minute you think that you've nothing to learn or that you're an expert and you know everything that's a sad day you should never be defining yourself based on that and and it's like well what gets what gets you up in the morning then if you think you know everything and you're you're not willing to learn so i think i don't know whether we covered it in class but i, I know there's, there's a famous study that was done by google a few years ago okay and and um, it was called project aristotle if anybody is interested and it was where google did this kind of covert study to try to find out what made the best leaders because they wanted all their different groups to be led by these different kind of people because they wanted to find out what was the magic solution for what made the great team and what made these brilliant leaders lead these teams And they found like, well, there was nothing, no such thing as like, you know, the perfect team or the the perfect leader. Everybody brings different things to the table. But I ultimately think that what makes somebody really good at what they do is they are passionate about it. They are constantly trying to self develop and self improve and learn from those around them. They're very good at being people, they're people 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 if you know what i mean like you know good good man yeah but they're 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 they like people and they are good with people but they also know when comes the time to be very instructional and they are very inspirational in that they're very knowledgeable about what they they know what they know as well there's a phrase we use in psychology called metacognition which is knowing what you know so they're very good at articulating and knowing what they know and where their remit is. Um, and, they do, and they tend to then have people around them that then can feed into and help them make up for what they feel they lack mm-hmm. in some ways. Do you know what I mean? So they, they surround themselves with great people that they can learn from, too. I mean, Jim Gavin, I, I know Joe has just finished with the Irish rugby team. I'm dying to see how Andy Farrell is going to get on now and I'm and I'm, I'm delighted to see where some of our grads are in and I was you know in touch you know always supporting them and always you know they're part of the backpack um but like you know Joe I think it, it was such uh, I suppose a pity that things ended the way they did in Japan and you know I'd hate to think that he you know everything that he did you know it was great for Irish rugby and he got them to a certain place but I think ultimately where he might be most disappointed in himself as a leader is that he kind of went away from his plan and is and is what had helped them to get to where they were and surrounded with the right people you know and they stopped listening to that and you know being in a team and being a good leader is also about listening to the players that are around you and and taking their input and, and letting them give that input and I think that that got lost um, and certainly from the players perspective and the coaches that's kind of what i think the media and what we we're all hearing and mm-hmm. that's what they're 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 kind of sharing and um, jim gavin i love the way that when he was right the way through with dublin it was a player-led team mm-hmm. and they still and now with ireland i'm hearing like you know that very much andy farrell has kind of you know really instilled again a kind of he mixed things up a bit but he's being very player-led and listening to the players so i think ultimately what makes a great leader is kind of some of those things if yeah. they, they know what they know they are good at Dealing with people, but they also know when to really be good at instructing those people to help them to get to where they want to go, and um, they have a way of bringing people along with them. But it's a multitude. It's never that there's one personality. It's never that there's one or two key characteristics, because I think you'll agree. I would see Joe, and Jim, and brezzy and you, because I would see you as a great leader in what you're doing and your coaching and what you're doing in your work. You're all very different people, and. It isn't a one personality or a one, you know, just shoe fits all. It's it's not that. And and research on leadership and psychology tells us that. It tells us that there is no such thing as the perfect team, the perfect leader. You know, that's what Google found out, like how do we build the perfect team, Project Aristotle. You you they did find out two key things, Stephen though, and and it's and it's been re-emphasized in research since then, is that there's two key things that great teams have. And that is, one, there seems to be a real emphasis on what we call conversational turn-taking. In other words, everybody gets a say. So you don't have somebody dictating all the time. The minute you have somebody dictating all the time is where that's a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. That's not really a good team environment. People stop having fun Mm -hmm. in that environment. They don't like it. If the company... You get turnover because people don't want to be there. They don't want to be dictated to all the time. And the other um, kind of quality in a really good team and with really good leaders that they tend to help the team develop is um, what we call social... They have very good social sensitivity. There's a social sensitivity test that you can do. Have you ever seen those ones where you give people a a list of emotions on faces and you get them to read the emotions on the faces? And it's it's a social sensitivity test. It's a really good way of knowing, do people have a good insight into emotions? Can you read somebody's emotions? And we've already touched on it, because you've already said that when somebody seems to be in difficulty, that we reach out to them and we help and support them. But how do we know they're in difficulty? We read the emotions on their faces. We read their behavior if they snap at you, and you know this is not a snappy person. That's you being really good at being what we call socially sensitive. And really good teams and really good leaders tend to have those qualities. They tend to be able to really good at reading people and reading emotions. And they also t- seem to encourage that kind of conversational turn-taking, as my dad would say. <laughs> you could do a little bit more of that, Liv. Learn to be quiet as well as to talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, listen, I I think that's really, really, really good insight, and uh, I actually might see if I can find that. Um,
1: I'll uh, give that, you the that, research yeah, paper. Don't worry, paper, it'll be in your email. You know, box no tonight. doubt,
0: no doubt. So, th- so, Liv, you you've also um, had the discipline to write numerous different books mm. and academics, um, research papers and your recent sole authorship <laughs> is that the Various is that even the right word is solo it
1: book. <laughs> your
0: solo book is um Sports sport cyber psychology. cyber psychology all right can you just give me a little bit of a kind of a nugget of i suppose information or a bit of a overview on the the book because i think it's such a really really important topic now To understand with all the the evolution of technology and with like for example and and I'm the the thing I I would always say is when I was growing up or when I was in school or something if anything happened in school whether you were bullied or you didn't like what happened with a teacher or whatever it was you always could come home but for me especially you could always come home to the sanctuary of your home whereas now you you don't get that you don't get that opportunity because everybody is connected they're always connected and Why I think your book is so probably topical and really, really important now is because people don't know that have the tools to manage the onslaught, especially in a sporting environment Mm. as you're growing up. Also, I suppose the the kind of the the key insights that you found uh, in number one writing it, but also the effect that sports cyber psychology is having on all these different athletes and how they Like what were the kind of the key outtakes that you would you would kind of share with people about sports cyber psychology and the importance of
1: it? Okay. Okay, well just to, to define cyber psychology then, um, it is the study of the online world, it's how people behave online and use technology. So your internet, your virtual reality, your you know, social media, all of these kind of things. So Sport itself, uh, when I wrote Sports Cyber Psychology, it actually it came out of a book chapter that I actually wrote for an Introduction to Cyber Psychology book. If you had ever asked me what my first book would be, I would have always said it would be a sports psychology book. So the fact that it ended up being sports cyber psychology, and I came to IEDT and I was going, what is all this cyber psychology stuff? I don't even have a clue what this is. And I'm a bit of a technophobe. I was like last person onto Facebook, and I was one of the la- I mean, when I was sick in 2012, it was what inspired me during the 2012 London Olympics. It was called the Twitter Olympics everybody was tweeting. I joined Twitter that summer because I went, well, I'm recuperating at home and I'm you know London 2012 and I want to be on board with all of this technology cyber stuff. So that kind of was what prompted it. And I wrote that summer, actually, as part of my recovery, I wrote one of my first book chapters. um, And it was on kind of, it had a cyber psychology kind of theme. And I won't go into the study. It was a a kind of a co-authored chapter, a little small one in, in, in a cyber psychology based book. So then an opportunity came, that was 2012, and then one or two other opportunities, and then 2016, 2014, 15, We wrote a book here in IEDT called An Introduction to Cyber Psychology. And the team here said to me, We'd love you to write a chapter on your stuff, like sports cyberpsychology. psychology. And every time we Googled it, sport and cyber psychology would come up with nothing together. So I literally coined this phrase, sports cyber psychology and the book chapter itself was really well received when the book came out and I had loads of people I like, contacted me and saying like you know god like you know this is really cool so I said well <laughs> if I want to write a book a solo book and I want it to be remembered the first book I want to write it where nobody has, uh, has ever written in this area before so I took on a real challenge and um, the foreword is written by prof professor Aidan and when I approached him and said would you write the foreword and I, I told him what gave him the whole book outline and told him what it was going to be all about and whatever and he said to me and how long is it going to be and I said it's going to be 10 chapters and when he when you signed the contract in September when are you getting the manuscript in oh September 12 months and I remember afterwards he he said to me when I came back to him the following September for the foreword he said to me I thought you were insane he said I'm going to say that right now I thought you had lost it completely he said because he had written a number of books he said she will never write a book her first solo one in a year 10 chapters and it's literally a chapter a month she'll never there's no way she can do that so and that's literally what it was and you were saying to me about do you apply what you what you teach athletes and, and 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 performers and students to do in terms of breaking down assignments and target setting and priorities and that's exactly what i had to do for a year and every single day for that year from the time i signed the contract to the day i got it in literally to the week 12 months Not a day did I wake up where I didn't think the book and how many words do I have to get written today? And when I say have to, not have to, wanted to get written, but where I was able to kind of say, if I get 100 written today, okay, I just have to write 100 and whatever tomorrow. So I I had the plan in place. And I literally (laughs) broke it down like that. But to go back to the theme of what the book is about, like the first couple of chapters are all about explaining what is psychology, what is sports psychology, and then what is cyber psychology, and then how do we amalgamate the two. So, you know, all about sport in an online context. And the chapters are all about everything from, as I say, some of the negative stuff, which media love to jump on you know all about the the cyber bullying and about athletes managing the online world and you know how they use it but I looked at it from a perspective of how they used it really good in a a really positive way because athletes have used it incredibly to set up companies to you know kind of get their brand out there which is great for them pre-retirement because then it means that they're known for being something other than an athlete before they retire and then they can jump into this new you know kind of world of you know designing clothes or you know Using the, the internet for to set up companies, mm-hmm. I mean online companies, yeah. not loads of them. So it's been a really good. So, like this really good you know aside to it that's been really beneficial and um, but in terms of training it's been a, a huge um kind of area in that the cyber world you know a lot of our referees now are using like their online technology VR, and their yeah. VR and their you know kind of um you know in tennis they use it for to you know decision-making you know uh, in, in refereeing in, in in rugby you know we can actually go to the TMO and see well you know and technology has enabled all of that mm-hmm. in the cyber world for that to happen yeah. so the book is a lot about kind of you you know all of those different elements of technology the cyber world and how it's impacted not just athletes but also coaches and referees and sports organizations because there's a chapter all about sports and how they've use the online world and social media to build their brand and to build their business and stuff as well because it is a business. So it's not just all performance enhancement based, it's very much even kind of a little bit of marketing and brand management and I kind of put myself a little bit outside my comfort zone as in it's not all about just psychology stuff, it is sports cyber psychology but it's where that cyber world and the psychology and the behaviour of people online how it can you know kind of factor in so many things and it's
0: as, it's as you said there though nobody had done it before no which yeah. is then you're essentially writing the rule book yourself you're writing the roadmap or you're yeah. creating the kind of the first step in yeah. what no doubt will be motivating factors for others to it's push on you know it's been amazing on, i've had so know.
1: many athletes and so many um research students contact me and say look I just found your book and it's literally my thesis, I wanted to do like chapter three is my thesis and I'm I could find nothing on it and now I've got this resource book and you've given loads of readings and references and I'm really hoping now I'll go and and I'm like absolutely go with my that is what you want to do, you know I I have so many people in my life that I consider to be trailblazers, you know Dr Nora Patton who's the first female astronaut the likes of Niall, you know being the first ones to speak out about their mental health and well-being, you know the likes of Josh and Jordan who would come in and you know, give me the privilege of of working with them where they come in as young athletes and are embracing sports psychology and seeing it as a science first of all and and being research and evidence based and then backing you in terms of the work that you do and you know I mean I'm I'm incredibly fond of him and you know him yourself from your own Mary's days with Jordan Larmour is a a a gem and I have no problem sharing that because he has at many opportunities mentioned the programme and mentioned some of the work that we've done together and if you know as say my mom says you adopt them all as your as your kids he well, was he was, one incredible.
0: Of, he was he was unbelievable um in terms of when i was coaching um he only played a handful of games because he was actually breaking through at the time right but uh when i was coaching he was always down there watching the training himself and Calen Darris, who was um first, uh, cap, this first weekend. cap this weekend and potentially a future guest as well but unbelievable attitude to the club and they'd come down because uh, they knew where their kind of roots were and they wanted to be part of it or if they were not even involved with the club the fact that they were showing their face and adding like running water if they weren't involved in the game they were they were trying to be part of that team environment
1: absolutely and
0: that is a sign of the characters of the guys absolutely um because you don't and get that incredible all the time
1: characters you know? You know people do things that you never see and then you know they get criticized for a performance and you're and and i'm doggedly you know i said about my family being doggedly protective of me and they always have your back and always have my back i've got that from them that Mm. i will doggedly i don't get me wrong if somebody is is down and is being you know not communicating with you or not being great in in their relate in their communication with you and you kind of i i will call them out on it not mm. call them out but i will say to them you know you don't seem to be or, or listen just checking in you know you just you, you, okay, yeah. not like you yeah. you know to kind of not reply or to not be yeah. you know kind of in touch or whatever but i'm doggedly protective of them as in i know that when the chips are down there are certain people that you can really call on and they are they're just great characters and as you say like the running water and you know supporting each other and and kind of you know reaching out when nobody's asking them to do and they that, just that's do it. It. it's it's those it's The sign of the what, character exactly. of the person. and
0: when they're not asked that's a sign of a character when you don't have to ask them to do anything that you know that that's the type of character they are behind the scenes with their families with their friends when if you ask them to do something you feel like you're putting people under pressure but when they do it off their own bat it's amazing and those guys and obviously a lot of the characters that you've met over the over the years that's the type of people that you surround with I think that's kind of a really good reflection on who you are as well because people wouldn't do that for you if you you weren't the type of person who genuinely appreciated it and also from my own experience through all the different times of my last couple of years and ups and downs whatever you've always checked in with me you've always reached out to see if you're doing okay you've always been that kind of um, level headed um, voice of opinion whenever I needed it and while we don't obviously see each other every week or every day we know that we're there for one another at the end of the day and I think that's a sign of a really really strong friendship um, and I think that's reflected in all the people and the characters that you've surrounded yourself with, which is brilliant. You know, that's really, really so, kind
1: of you to say. Well, but uh, I don't only get emotional, the truth. <laughs> but, uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think you're, you know, and, and right back at you, exactly the same from my side. Um, and I, and I think that is, I think you've really articulated it really well, Stephen. Because I think people, it comes back to that thing about you know, anybody viewing it as. You know, anything other than that you, you just, you really adore these people. You are inspired by what they do. You do see them as your heroes. You just genuinely want to help them to get the best out of their, their day and their life. They're, you know, I always say to athletes, you know, first and foremost, you have to see the person first. You know, it's like when people say to me, who are you? my first response should not really be i'm a sports psychologist i'm an academic and no. it should be i'm a sister i'm a daughter i'm because they're the I'm ultimately <laughs> i'm i'm a human this being is, like yeah. that it's the person first and then after that what yeah. do you do but what you do shouldn't define who you no. are i do believe that um, you know, I don't like to kind of um, kind of say it, but the you know, people talk about you know you you know kind of a toxic sometimes in sport environments and it and toxic. But like you, you choose who you who you have around you, and you don't have to be around people that you know. They talk about uh, the female the girls hockey team. They have a phrase in the. Like Gillian Pinder was one of our graduates, and she shared this publicly, and so was Anna O'Flanagan. O um, don't be the vampire in the room. In other words, when you walk into the room, don't be the person that sucks the blood out of the room. And we all know people like that. And, and I say to people, look, if there's somebody in your environment who is like that, often it is that there's an issue, there's a problem, there's something going on with them. But you don't have to surround yourself with people like that. So do surround yourself with people who are like minded, who are kindred spirits, who are your backpack. And you can have, you know, my dad says to me sometimes, that backpack must be getting awful heavy. How do you carry it around? And my dad, the backpack, the more you have it, it just floats. (laughs) It's just amazing. You know, and and it is. And and I consider myself to be incredibly, incredibly lucky because I have so many amazing people in my life and they they people say, "How do you get the energy to do when you're, you're never sitting still?" And you're, it's like, "I, f- that's my fuel. Yeah. They feed me with their kind of brilliance, so and uh, it's just amazing."
0: Tell me this, okay. What kind of words of wisdom or advice would you give somebody um, who is maybe in a stage where they're not sure if they have the resilience, or they they're not sure if they have the mental fortitude to get through something, or 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 they may be just in a bit of a rut. What kind of piece of advice would you give those people?
1: Well, great question because it happens us all absolutely it does it happens to every single one of us it's called the human condition it mm. is what we are what we face every day and I think to recap on a couple of things that I've said and I, I don't mean to kind of go back over stuff we said but they are my go-to phrases um, on my social media I use uh, hashtag be Brave. And I think that's really important. People have said to me over the years that a couple of things I've dealt with, it was a sign of bravery. It's, you, and at the time, I never really would have put it down to that. I would have said, I just was getting through something. And you don't know how strong you can be until being strong is the only option you have. You know, you just, this is what you have to do. And you just get through it. So I tell athletes and my students and my family and my friends and everybody I communicate all the time with, just be brave. Being brave can be taking that one step. It can be deciding to get up and do that one presentation. It can be just going to that one training session. It can be picking up the phone and just making that one call. So it's just be brave, okay? Cor- being courageous and being brave. To, to coin the phrase from John Wayne, uh, he said, being brave is not, not being afraid. Being brave is often being terrified, but saddling up anyway. So that is really what it is. It's being brave, just not not having any fear you can be petrified and be the bravest and most courageous person on the planet because you're doing something that you know is pushing you to the very edge of your comfort zone but you're gonna have a go anyway and, and the other one is you know don't be afraid of what i say the four letter f words clean fear failure all of those f words we have learned to associate them with really negative things and i say to people what have you ever thought of failure as being just a first attempt in learning you didn't do it right the first time just try again just try again that's what we call resilience it's that bounce back ability mental first, fortitude
0: first attempt in learning is an F-A-I-L, acronym for a fail, for a fail. Yeah, and I say
1: you know I'm from scaries if you, if you fail sail the next time second attempt in learning <laughs> tail third attempt in learning you know it, we could go on and on yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's not not being afraid being brave can be being petrified but having a go anyway and any of the guys and girls that I work with they'll tell you that's one of the best phrases that they, they love their go to phrase is like I might not. The past might not go to hand. I might not. I might not make it. But i sure. If it's on, I'm going to have a go. That phrase of, you know, uh, Jordan did a great interview actually yesterday on, uh, for Irish, uh, the media day, and he said it's, it's a, by taking calculated risks. It's about, you know, backing yourself, knowing what the game plan is, but not being afraid to express yourself. And I think maybe in Japan and in other contexts, it, that was, there was a bit of fear, but the fear paralyzed them. But it's like, have a go. If you think it's on, have a go. And that's for everything in life. Have a go. Just, just back yourself. But it doesn't mean that you, you can't experience being terrified at the same yeah. time. Brilliant. So be brave is a big one for me. The other one, my other one, awesome in action. I really do believe actions speak louder than words. You know, I'm very much a person where I go, the thinking affects the feeling affects the doing, but it can work in the opposite way around. So the doing affects the thinking and the feeling. So be a doer. And that means, I mean, doing as in reach out to somebody. Be the person that does the thing you know do it you know Nike I don't want to be promoting a brand but you know their their tagline is brilliant just do it you know part of my job is to help people to get their heads out of their own way overthinking can be a big problem so don't overthink it just do it if it doesn't work and it doesn't happen you just learn the lesson move on and try again mm with rest in between but with rest in between that bounce back ability Mm -hmm. but with rest because people say about resilience oh bounce back bounce back bounce back if you say to somebody all the time to bounce back they're going to get burnt out and they're going to get fatigued and injured and they will be in an early grave Mm -hmm. so it's like no no bounce back but with rest in between so that's the other one factor in the fun when is your downtime when is your recovery time when is your And factoring in the fun means literally scheduling in your cinema trips, your concerts, your, you know, I heard on on Keith's um, podcast where you were saying, what are your new resolutions? I tend to on New Year's Day every year set aside, uh, I I never set aside my work schedule as in my my work to do, because I know what I want to achieve in a year. I mean, James Norton has me signed up to write an e-book, that's on the agenda for this year. But I've got a surgery now that I've got to get through in the next couple of weeks, which is also a priority. So and recovery from that. So life throws curveballs. Actually, where you go, well, I didn't factor that in. That was kind of the end of December. I didn't factor that in for January, February. Now I'm having to face that. But look, you get through it, and you then say, right, what's on the agenda after that, and you just move on. But it's always about like factoring in the fun. So what, you know, what concert would you like to go to? What, you know. You know, last year I did an ab sale out of Croke Park in March. Like, you know, uh, you just, know doing just, just doing things that, that you put go. Put a smile your face. I, I yeah. Exactly. Just have a bit of fun. Yeah. But factor in the fun. And, and it's something that, again, I don't just try to live it, I try to instill it then in you know, others where I say to them, where they get so engrossed in their training and so engrossed in camp and, when, and I'm going. When is the fun? Yeah. When are you at a camp? When yeah. are you not doing that? When have you, you know, schedule so to? I think so many people can learn from that, though. That. You
0: know, across all the walks of life, I have think that. having that time to spend time with yourself or spend time with people that you enjoy—it's so so important. Absolutely, you know? make
1: time for you. Yeah. So be brave, awesome in action, as in be an action doer, and um, the one that I was saying there about the, just factor in the fun. Yeah, factor they'd be the my fun. my kind of my That's top brilliant. three and the backpack. social support network be brave be brave awesome in action action. so be in action factor
0: in the fun and and the backpack backpack. amazing
1: my four favorites at the moment anyway
0: well olivia thank you so much this has been brilliant like, really I, it. I love it's always this great chatting to you, Stephen. but it's it's so much fun and you know it's like it, it's exactly like we chat on a normal day anyway so it's, it is folks it, totally it is it is brilliant um thank you really really it's been really really insightful and thank you so much And
1: thank you Stephen. and very best of luck
0: thank you. now there you go a lovely conversation with dr olivia hurley olivia fair play to you for taking the time and sharing all those great stories Mental resilience, guys, is such a uh, interesting topic and not only that, mental health, and there's so many places that you can go to receive a bit of information, a bit of help and a bit of knowledge and guidance. If you are interested, please do reach out to Livia or myself, and if anybody wants to have a further discussion about any of the topics that we covered today, please, again, don't hesitate to get in touch. All you need to do is visit whatmakesyoutick.net where you can leave a comment, you can send me an email. Or you can visit me on Instagram at What Makes You Tick Pod or again at Twitter at Stevie Bratz.